Let's go back 30 years to the incredible Bell Labs, where Zor Gorilov was pioneering chatbot technology and paving the way for what we know today as conversational AI. Now he's taking his vision, tech savvy, and knowledge into the banking space like no one around him, thanks to the interface known as Kai GPT. How does that tech work? And what does it mean in terms of heralding a new marriage of finance and artificial intelligence? Listen up as the two Ds get to the heart of it here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to today's show, and today we're incredibly honoured to have Zor Gorlov from Casisto join us to talk about Casisto and conversational interfaces. So welcome. And just to start with, I wonder, could you give a bit of an introduction to yourself and Casisto as well? Yes, first of all, Dave, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. And conversational interfaces is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I've been working in this space for nearly 30 years now. I started my career at Bell Labs working on the early version of conversational systems. I like to say that language models in those days were small, but computers required to run them were large. So it's the opposite to where we are at now. <laughs> and I started Casisto believing that conversational user interface is the main way that consumers will interact and consume computing power around us. And we decided to focus on banking almost 10 years ago. And the idea was to basically use conversational interfaces and use AI-powered digital bankers to help users make better financial decisions, make better understand their money, ultimately use AI to provide unbiased advice. And that's how we started Casisto. That was the vision. We have over 50 banks now using our conversational assistance now, or deployed in 16 different countries, banks of all sizes. We have very mature technology, and we're quite excited about the onset of generative AI and the capabilities that it provides. Everybody in the world talks about AGI and how ChatGPT enables artificial general intelligence. But I'm sure we'll have a conversation about ChatGPT and AGI. I don't think we're close to AGI, but I do think we're close to AFI, artificial financial intelligence. The generative AI systems really open up a lot of doors for companies like Casisto to really help reimagine finance and what bankers do and how they help users and how users consume banking service through conversational interfaces. So I'm quite excited to be here. I'm based in New York City. That's where our company is based. But as I said, we have companies spread around the world. We also have very international companies. Like I was talking to someone yesterday. We have employees from 22 different countries working for us and wow. maybe Casista, maybe New York, whatever it is, but it's a quite exciting place wow. to be. 
when you started Casisto, there weren't many people talking about conversational interfaces. I guess <laughs> you were maybe even before Siri and Alexa. And what was it that you saw? What was the spark that made you think, well, actually, this is something really interesting? Well, I'll give you a history. Really, really a great question. So I worked in the space, started the Bell Labs in early 2000. I started a company called SpeechCycle, and we built some of the world's first virtual assistants, voice-based, all voice-based for telcos. Telstra, Verizon, Charter Communications, Cox Communications were all customers of ours. This is, you know, I ran the company for 10 years in New York. We were processing 100 million calls, fully automated. Now, history of Casisto goes back to 2012. The company is a spin-out from Stanford Research Institute, or SRI. SRI is the organization that created Siri. So Casisto came after Siri, but before Alexa. So when we started on day one, we SRI licensed basically their entire AIIP portfolio to us, and we decided to take it to enterprise market and specifically banking. We described ourselves, it was early days, you're right, we were one of the pioneers in the enterprise market with voice and speech and AI and natural language. We coined the term conversation as a service. Everything was a service and still is to an extent today. But we struggled to describe ourselves. You know, people were not getting it. What does it actually do? But everybody knew Siri. So we said, well, it's like Siri was an MBA in banking and people were getting it right away. So Siri was an MBA in banking. So our product is called Kai. Siri is Kai's older cousin. Not as smart, not as savvy in banking, but, you know, it's a member of the family nonetheless. We focused on banking and we decided from day one that general purpose chatbots will not do it in banking. That, you know, in order to have meaningful, intelligent conversations, the assistants have to know about you as a customer. They need to know about your transactions and balances and payments. And that's what we focused on, doing deep integration and providing conversations that are meaningful not just the, you know, FAQ kind of questions that many people focused on. i got to say, that's a really, really solid strategy. And it's great to see a company that's actually succeeded, you know, with a kind of very focused approach, because I've looked and reviewed so many conversational platforms, and they're doing a bit in retail and a bit in telco and a bit in banking and all the premise that, you know, they're going to conquer the world and it's all going to happen for them eventually. But when you speak to them and you say, well, look, a narrow focus is much better to get depth in a given market before you move on to another market. All of the sales strategies would be much stronger from that perspective. But also, I think from a technology perspective, we all know that specific purpose AI comes well before a general purpose thing and actually will always be much better. So something that's intelligent about one specific area, broad as it may be in financial services, is always going to be better than something that does that and loads of other things as well, I think. What's your thoughts on that? I agree with that. I think that there is a reason the Series 7 and CFA exams exist, because people need to be qualified to help other people with their finances. There is a reason we train doctors. If you hire a Starbucks barista for your retail banking call center, you put them through six weeks of training. You know, so I think this whole you know, idea that I can just have a chatbot that knows it all and can answer questions, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I think you need specialization at least given today. Maybe one day we will get to omni 
science kind of chatbots that know everything and they can have conversation with you about your finances, but we're not there yet. And I think we believe that more practical approach is the digital assistants that are deeply connected into wired into fabric of digital banking or you know wealth management infrastructure. And you can have conversations with them about you, about your finances, about your needs. Yeah. When people think about conversational interfaces, you know, there's obviously the chatbot element, but I'm guessing Casisto is not just the chatbot. There is the whole intelligence and knowledge which sits behind all of this. So would you mind just talking about the kind of different aspects of the Casisto product? People's experiences of chatbots, you know, historically may not have been particularly good because, you know, often when you go to a chatbot on a banking website, it's like a tree rather than something which is answering specific questions or whatever. You know, we actually came up with a name. We started working in the space. We called it Intelligent Digital Assistant, not a chatbot. We tried to stay away from word chatbot. Right. We're a small company. We're now Microsoft. We don't have marketing budgets that define categories. Everybody knows chatbot, but nobody knows Intelligent Digital Assistant, but it has deep meaning for us. I agree with your assessment of chatbots. Specifically, there are, I think, two or three issues about chatbots that one needs to understand, and then I will talk about how intelligent digital assistants are different from chatbots. First of all, chatbots are reactive. Nobody is going to banking website to talk to a chatbot. Let's face it. People go there because they have a problem. Sometimes it understands you and sometimes it doesn't. Right? If it doesn't understand you in the first try, you don't go back. So I think that sort of the reactive concept is one problem. Second problem is discoverability. And this is not just a chatbot problem. It's a problem with Google Home and Amazon. You don't really know what this thing can do for you. But you go in and you ask questions. Sometimes it gets it. Sometimes it doesn't. Does it know it? Does it know me? Do I need to sign on? So discoverability is a huge issue. And then third issue is chatbots is they're general. They're not personalized. When you go to chatbot, it doesn't know you. So what we try to do with intelligent digital assistants, we try to address all those things. You know, A, it needs to be not just reactive, but proactive, and it needs to anticipate your needs, right? What do you love about Uber customer service? You know, something goes wrong with your ride. And the first thing you do before you ask any question, it says, hey, I see that you took those two rides. Is there an issue with your latest ride? Oh, yeah, definitely it is. You know, why not when users go in, show the last three transactions or show a dispute and say, are you contacting me about one of those? Right? As opposed to waiting for users to say, I need to dispute a transaction. I don't understand that charge. So I think changing those sort of reactive mindset is number one. Number two is discoverability. Users go to you, just tell them right away through quick reprise, carousels, whatever. This is what I can do for you, right? Make it clear for them what is this thing capable of. And then third is I want to talk about my finance. I want to personalize the experience. Transfer money is a very popular example, right? Everybody who builds a chatbot, they go on the demo and they say, look, look what this thing can do. I'd like to transfer $100 from checking to savings. And it understood me. This is a bad example. Because I like to say, you know, conversation interfaces are powerful, but if you as a bank need to add, I'd like to transfer $100 from checking to savings with voice or text, I'd say go fix your mobile app because people are not able to use your money transfer feature. <laughs> so trying to understand what the right balance is and how those conversational interfaces can be used. And I think that this is one of the examples where people go in and they think that everything needs to be natural language, everything needs to be speech, everything needs to be conversational. And I don't think this is true. 
I think that there are things that people do on digital channels that are well understood, well designed, and people are willing to take extra 15 seconds to make sure that $100 gets transferred from checking to savings account. If it takes a couple of extra clicks, that's okay. I think the conversational interfaces, the role of conversational interfaces is creating net new experiences, is enabling experience that people are not able to do on digital and creating surprise and delight. And it may be inefficiencies. What did I spend on wine on my last trip to London? Right? That's not an easy question that you know you can get from your banking app good conversational experience. And then even doing things that humans are not able to do. The example like that, if you call your bank, I don't know who you bank with, but if in the US, if I call my bank and say, I want to know what I spent on wine on my trip to London, they'll probably hang up on me. So I think that finding the right combination, I used wine as an example because, because we spoke about it before the podcast. I know you're an enthusiast, but I do have a story about wine. I was in a demo at a very large bank several years ago and I did ask that question about my own account. And when the number came back, <laughs> the demo took a different direction. I was like, well, it's not what you think it is. This is not just only my stand. We yeah, had a there, was a, there was an Alcoholics Anonymous intervention. Was exactly. there. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, but we closed the deal, so it worked. <laughs> I mean, you did say it's kind of reactive and part of what i like doing is just seeing what's coming downstream you know in the next few years or 10 years or 20 years right but when do you think we might even start getting a call from an ai to say oh by the way look zor i seen just another transaction go through for wine you've hit <laughs> the limit you set for this budget you spend on wine right but rather than waiting for you to log in interact and then dropping it in when will it proactively call you because it thinks it's helping you to manage your money better how far are we away from that well look my wife would love that call i don't know if i would <laughs> like that call going to her <laughs> i don't know i think people are inundated with message i think how we call people who we call and how people respond to it it's hard for me to answer i'll try to answer this question a different way while i'm thinking about the real answer to your question i will tell you some of the things that we are doing to make it more proactive, and it's not necessarily in proactive outreach, but we are now mining conversations that are happening across the banking universe, right? Within a bank. Right. So if you are a bank, and I don't know, bad example, but your ATM network is out and people are contacting you about ATM, we know about that. So first time you sign in to Kai, we will actually give you that message saying that, hey, did you know that people are talking about the ATM network and we're working on it kind of thing. But this is not a message that bank is putting out. We ask mining transactions and learning from the data what is happening, trying to anticipate user requests. Another example of that, we're actually tracking your own conversations. So if it's Tuesday morning, I notice that every Tuesday you send money to your son on Zelle, we will actually prompt you and say, hey, you know, it's Tuesday, you want to send money or not? So we're trying to anticipate user needs that way. I think calling is tricky. I mean, I think the capability certainly exists. And I think banks can do that if they choose to, but we're not controlling how banks proactively communicate with their customers. Some banks that truly 
put customers first and care about you getting charged with overdraft would want to make that call and consumers will appreciate it. Some other banks may choose not to, you know, and ultimately pay higher price in customer retention and all that. So I think we live in a world where my block list, not to call list, every time I get a spam, I add it to my list. So one day when I retire, like you, Dramesh, I will probably sell that list for a lot of money because there's so many people are calling me. It's just impossible. <laughs> We're sort of entering, I think, into another world where we've had Siri and Alexa and what you've been developing. I'd describe them as the early iterations of conversational interfaces. It feels like we're on the precipice of something which is truly conversational in that, you know, there are now these LLMs which enable natural language conversations to happen. So, you know, I really loved your point around discoverability. Discoverability was always a massive problem when we were designing websites and mobile apps for banks. I'm talking about generally, people don't know what they don't know. So banks have basically trained them to do specific functions and they do those functions very well. But beyond those kind of guardrails, they don't know what they don't know. So I love that point. But I also then think that you look at these LLMs, which they're not intelligent, but they're starting to look intelligent so that they can give you a broader view, like a more lateral view when you ask a question. So I was really interested in your perspective. Another tipping point around conversational interfaces, I wonder if the bank of the future will just be a prompt screen and it's coming to you with ideas and thoughts. Do you think we're at the beginning of something? And I know you've got uh, Casisto GPT product as well. So it's kind of interesting to understand that as well. First of all, let me give you what I think is a good way to describe today's conversational interfaces. We call them prescriptive AI. And the reason they're prescriptive is because everything has to be scripted at the end of the day. A lot of buzzwords, you know, everything is self-training and deep learning. After all of these buzzwords, somebody needs to go in and write things and code the humans need to write prescriptions i will give you a very good example i think of how the world is changing as i said been working in the space for 10 years you know we are automated hundreds of millions of interactions with banks around the world i get a call from one of our customers from ceo of a bank and they said that look you guys are a banking bot this is march of this year and i asked the questions about fdic insurance and it did not know how to answer it. It's kind of embarrassing, right? The banking bot does not know. So we said, you're right, let us look into it. So we went through 100 million conversations and guess what? Until March of 2023, nobody ever asked about FDIC insurance. But in March of 2023 or February, Silicon Valley Bank failed and people learned about FDIC, started calling about FDIC. And in prescriptive AI systems, you know, you need to collect the data. So we started scrambling. We said, oh, FDIC, how do people ask about the FDIC insurance? What if they say FDIC insurance? What if they say is my money insured? So we try to go through this whole thing. And we're very efficient in that because we have a lot of data and we're able to put something together very quickly. Well, that was half of the problem. Second problem was we also work in credit union space in the U.S., it's not FDIC, it's another organization that insures with accounts, it's NCAU, or somebody found out about it. So we went in and tried to write prescriptions for credit union NCAU. 
And then we deployed it in, in one week, it was up and running, every one of our customers happy know that. So that world has changed and it changed forever because when we build ChiGPT or ChatGPT for that matter, and we say, what is FDIC? And it knows, and it knows. You don't have to go and scramble and it knows you know, a million other things. So we went from our CTO likes to say one world where we build 110 using millions of utterances to train them to millions of intents that are trained for us and we can use them. So we built Kai GPT with four ideas in mind. Those ideas were not our ideas, they were our customers' ideas. So when we as a company had experience working with large language models going back to Burke 2018, 2019, we started solving our customers' problems in early 22 with generative AI, with OpenAI's API actually. And when ChatGPT happened, it was a surprise to us, like many, despite the fact that this system is basically a fancy autocomplete, right? It was extremely powerful. And as you said, it's not intelligent. It doesn't know the checking account is different savings account, but it's able to accumulate human knowledge that exists in writing. And it is able to produce answers that are based on, on human knowledge. So when we went and we talked to banks, we heard four things that became foundational principles for building KaiGPT. A, it had to be accurate. Accurate means if you're answering questions, you need to answer questions from my content, from my documents, from my website, from my document management system. It needed to be trusted. We have a lot of questions that include PII. We have a lot of proprietary content, which we don't want anybody to see, not just for competitors, but you know, can be out there on the internet. Number three, it needs to be transparent. I must know what you train this system on data sources, algorithm. I need to be able to get visibility into gender bias, for example. And number four, needed to be customizable. So we built Kai GPT with that in mind. And as far as I know, it is still the world's only GPT large language model that is purpose-built for banking, designed to be accurate, trusted, transparent, and customizable. So those were our ideas. And as I said earlier in the podcast, our vision was to help users better manage, better understand their money. And we believe that KaiGPT gets us closer to that vision. The easiest way to explain that why a specialized model is really the right way to go is when I go into my house and I've got my lights hooked into Google Home, I've got the blinds hooked into Google Home, the speakers, etc. If I go into my bedroom, I actually have to name my bedroom like master bedroom or dom's bedroom because if i go into my daughter's room then i can't just say you know bedroom lights on because i have to tell it which room it is even though the speaker that i'm talking to is in that room yeah right yeah and then it could be that i want the blinds open you know or the tv on or whatever so you know i have to get the action right sometimes it's on sometimes it's open it's like my wife gets so frustrated because she knows what she wants to get done, but the words are different according to the different objects and the actions right. to perform, right? Right. And it doesn't need to recognize or personalize according to where you are. If I'm in a room and I say lights on, I mean for that room, right? That's right. And that's where I think if you do the comparison with finances, you can't just give a generic like, oh, by the way, Dave, you shouldn't spend an extra $50 on the wine because you might go overdrawn if it knows that they spend that all the time on wine. That's right. 
And if you're like Dave, you get bottles from Naked Wine. Sometimes you don't <laughs> even remember which bedroom or room you're in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need to ask Google Home. <laughs> it is fascinating, though. I completely agree. You need the subject matter expertise. I was really interested. I did a very simple thing the other day. I, was, I took a screen grab of my balance on one of my accounts and uploaded it to ChatGPT and said, tell me what's going on here. It was really scary what it was able to deduce. I mean, really scary. It was more valuable than anything I've seen in terms of advice from banks yeah. or anything like that. And it was just from one screen grab. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a pivotal moment where yeah. there is proper intelligence coming into what these models are able to deduce. Now, I think if ChatGPT was still a bit kind of rusty around some of it, and I can imagine like the more your model knows, the more powerful it becomes in terms of being able to advise people. So three points. First of all, I believe that next two or three years, next five years, we'll continue to live in multi-LLM world. Most bankers we speak to believe that too. In other words, banks will use GitHub Copilot for developer productivity. They will probably use Salesforce Einstein for marketing and sales automation. And they hopefully will use more of Kai GPT for you know, customer interaction management, employee interaction management. But I do believe that we're a tipping point. And my research is dated, but Pew Research in the US, I think three months ago, said that 58% of Americans other aware use ChatGPT. And I think what's changed as compared to sort of today's chatbot is ChatGPT created massive awareness. I mean, kids are using it. Our CTO said that the best use cases for ChatGPT are on TikTok, right? Students finding ways to use it in the most creative way. So public awareness, and that public awareness is driven by the fact that people are beginning to realize that this conversational thing, it's now this sort of prescriptive IVR-like experience. I can actually have a conversation with it. I can ask follow-up questions. And bankers are looking at it, realizing that, yeah, this thing hallucinates, and I assume that can be fixed, but I want conversation like this. I think public awareness combined with capabilities, I think, created a tipping point. What I think is going to happen in two to three years, what I hope is going to happen, this is a problem that is not yet solved, that is hard to solve. And this is connecting structure and unstructured data. OpenAI has an API called plugins and Klarney uses it and some others are using it. In our world, we are on a journey. You said, how do you and when do you make it available to consumers? Once we figured out a way to connect balances to conversational experiences, ChatGPT or KaiGPT-like experiences, I think that is a magical moment. That's where advice becomes real. I mean, a lot of legal issues that need to be sorted out, I'm sure, but connecting structured and non-structured data. So I can have a GPT-like conversation about your finances. I think that's a whole grail. You know, what you just said, experience that you had with the balance, to do that in an industrial way, scalable way that, you know, I look at your balances and payments, and maybe I will make that call and say, wait a minute, you know, you need to really slow down on your wine purchases because that's going to blow your budget. So I think the multi-LLM world, the more adoption of GPT-like experiences and connecting in banking securely with guardrails, with no hallucination, connecting structured banking data with unstructured conversational experiences, I think, to reach the AFI, I think that's the holy grail. 
My final question is, you know, if you're a bank and you're not thinking about LLMs, then you probably shouldn't be in business. But if you're a bank and pondering, how do I get involved? I mean, what should they do? I mean, other than call you, obviously. <laughs> well, banks would call us. You know, we understand that it's early days and we are giving banks the capability to try those things on their own data, right? Here are the documents, try them, see how it works for you and then experiences. And, you know, I think that you're right. They need to be trying it. And somebody asked me yesterday again, they said, well, this is mostly large banks. No. We are working, testing IGPT with a $4 billion credit union that has, I don't know, 50 or 60,000 digital customers. So I think the interest is very broad and banks that want to lead, you know, need to experiment and try. And they also need to be realistic about what's doable, what is achievable. There was hype, as I said, self-training and deep learning, just add water and those AI systems grow on trees. They don't. Those systems, what we've learned over the past nine years, they're really, really, really hard to make work and you really need to have the data, you need to have the expertise. No bank in the world will change their documents to make questions easily answerable. And those documents, which I'm sure you guys know, were created over you know, decades, right? And they include all kinds of policies. And some documents were created in WordPerfect, so they couldn't process them. And there are images of old WordPerfect documents that sitting in Word documents that are converted to PDF, and they have tables. And some of those tables include the logic, if-else logic. If customer has this, do that. You know, so I think to make the systems work in the real world is not trivial at all. So the banks need to go in with their eyes open. There are documents that exist that answer the same question differently. Right? <laughs> I mean they look at the document like why do the oil prices fall? Right? Depending on when you ask, who you ask, two analysts in the same forum may disagree. So I think it's not just adopting generative AI. It's really thinking about your data, document management infrastructure, and understanding how it all fits in so it can deliver the most value. Fantastic. Wow. Amazing. Amazing, Zor. Always a pleasure talking to you again. And I knew we we're going to get some strong vision, but also your execution of the strategy to hit banking with conversational technology has been perfect. So congratulations on the company and thank you so much for sharing your insights with us on the show today. Of course, of course. This last segment, I'm going to record and send to the board about the perfect part. <laughs> this show has been sponsored by Naked Wines for Dave Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> Naked Wines. Well, you guys, I hope to meet you in person and you are invited to New York and there's Naked Wine here and hopefully we'll get to share more generative AI stories and where AI stands for artificial intoxication, of course. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Don Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvelous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.